and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, my name is Ian Cheeseman and this is a podcast podcast dedicated to all things Manchester City. Um, as ever, it's sponsored well by two companies at the moment, Counting King, who are R&D tax specialists. Uh, very, very good, by the way, at what they do. And if you are a business person or you're involved in a business and you want some expertise in your business to try and uh, make sure that you are paying the the least you need to in terms of tax through whatever research and development you do, then they are the company. They also do business loans and that sort of thing. They're based in the Manchester area. You can look them up, Counting King, and please give them your support and tell them that I sent you. And also to Amar Development UK, who uh, at the moment have just redeveloped the pyramid just off the M60 around Manchester into a three-level event centre, which looks absolutely fabulous. Uh, they're another company that I urge you to support um, uh, for their support of my podcast, of course. So big shout out to them. Now, with me on the podcast today, um, our former City defender, Kit Simons, who's also had a stellar career as a coach, so really knows his onions, as they say. Uh, but we've also got uh, two of the Forever Blue podcast uh, regulars in Louisa, who is a podcaster in herself, uh, in, in the sense that she's involved in F1 and F2 and uh, a rising star in her own right. And also Adam, uh, Adam Purdue, who's a former member of City Matters, so brings that expertise of connection with groups of City fans. So there's all sorts of experts on this. I'm just the one who facilitates it all. I'm not an expert on anything. Um, so let's get straight into it. Um, we're recording this just after City have, have beaten Huddersfield 5-0 in the FA Cup uh, and on course now to uh, maybe go all the way to Wembley again. I mean, Kit, you're a player who's played for City. You've seen or you've been involved in other clubs like um like Fulham uh, of course uh, but you know what it means to play in the FA Cup I did a match day vlog which I put up on YouTube and I asked people today people like Richard Dunn that I bumped into Steve Fleet who I know you'll remember from your time at City and whoever else I bumped into what the FA Cup meant so before we talk about the game specifically what did the FA Cup mean and what does it mean to you as a, a former player and manager yeah, I've always loved it. And my first sort of real um, involvement in it was, was when I was a young player at Portsmouth. Um, in the season, we got we got to the semi-final and played played Liverpool in the semi-final FA Cup. And uh, we uh, we drew 1-1 at Highbury, drew 0-0 with a replay at Villa Park and then lost on penalties. So that was my first full season, or my, so my first ever involvement in the FA Cup. Um, and I just thought, well, I got the first time doing it, I got to the semi, so I'm, you know, next year I'll go and win it. But unfortunately, it doesn't quite work like that in football. And um, I never came close again. So that was, um, yeah, the close ever came was a semi-final. But I, I, I sort of grew up, and I think a lot of my generation, you know, the, there wasn't so much football on telly then, but the FA Cup final was the biggest game of the season. You know, everyone talks about the magic of the FA Cup, but I, I firmly believe there is still there is still an element of it there. I mean, the game's changed, obviously, commercially and stuff like that. But I still do believe there is... This, this certain certain magic with the FA Cup and it's it's a brilliant competition. I said today that in my introduction that um, the FA Cup final victory against United last season, even though City went on to win the treble and also these two European trophies as well, probably was my highlight of the entire season. You know, 13 seconds in, Ilkay Gundogan scores against the Reds at Old Trafford. I mean, that does make it special, doesn't it? Yeah, it does for sure. So I think 
that's that's the the thing as well. Some, I think, some big games, you know, Champions League final, it's they're almost too tense to enjoy properly. I think as well, some some sort of games, but I don't know. Just for the FA Cup, as like I say, has got that that special feeling, and I think I think possibly with that one with, with you last year, maybe because it things were going so well and it looked like we we're on course for a, a treble, which obviously came about fantastically. The FA Cup was probably maybe the least pressure one. And I say scoring so early, you can't not enjoy that. Fantastic. Absolutely not. I'll ask you about the game against Huddersfield in a moment, but let's bring in uh, Louisa and Adam. Adam, what, what did you make of today's game against Huddersfield? Well, yeah, it was fairly business as usual, but I think what pleased me the most is, um, you know, a lot of people have talked about us having bigger bigger fish to fry in the last couple of years and a lot of people sometimes you know are, are willing to, to forego the domestic cups i think for the first time today i'm looking at that team out there which is almost bordering on a reserve team and just seeing class all over the pitch um i'm so excited by the likes i mean i love rico lewis oscar bob there's so so many of these players who aren't going to necessarily get huge amounts of game time in the in the league or in the champions league but they're not they're not nobody's being thrown and thrown in to protect the big boys here. They are absolutely class players and they, they totally did a job today. Uh, and it's exciting. I mean, Oscar Bob is, is such a rising star. I mean, I don't I'm reluctant to single one player out because you don't want to put too much pressure on, but the lad's got some skill, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he he looks like he belongs. And and as I said, I think I think Rico is 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 gonna be a mainstay of that team for years. Uh but even even the other players who you think of as, as big players, I mean, even the likes of Guardiola, he's only what is he twenty one years old or whatever. I mean, these these are kids really. So that if they can go out there and 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 win third round cup games with such ease, it's just absolutely exciting. What did you make of it, Louisa? I think definitely singling Bob out of those sort of few newbies, he stands out to me because he to me he appears to fit. Um, like he's been playing for a couple of years, whereas the others, you can still tell they've still got, you know, obviously a bit of a ways to go until they are absolute class, but they're already class, as Adam's just said. So they're absolutely going to, they're just going to make it. And I feel a bit sad because I feel like we're we're kind of producing these players to to, to sell them, not to necessarily keep them. Uh, like, you know, we, we've obviously lost um uh, an absolutely wonderful player in Cole Palmer to Chelsea and he's unbelievably excelling. I'm I'm really enjoying watching him there, sad to say. Um, but he's turned out to be a tremendous player. And we're perhaps, you know, we're going to lose some of these young players. But for now, it's great while they're on the pitch. Um, on the on the negative side of today, because we did win, job done, yeah, you know, another day at the office. But on the other side, I did feel we were quite boring and weren't imaginative enough in, in the first half. I think I felt we were actually really struggling because Huddersfield put up the best defense. I've seen a team play for this entire season I've never seen another team play like that defensively and yeah they, you can maybe say they park the bus a little bit but my god if they can defend like that they're I don't know why they're in the position that they're in at the moment um, in their league it's unbelievable how excellent they were I weren't happy, happy with some of their tackles a little bit reckless um 
you know, a, a Kanji. We really don't want to lose him <laughs> under that. That I didn't like that tackle. One of the commentators on TV didn't seem to think there was much wrong with it, but I didn't like it. Um, and Gomez, obviously, and then Lewis as well with the elbow. So I weren't happy with some of that. But to me, I haven't seen a team play that well and lose 5-0. So I don't quite understand. You know, it was obviously our class and our goals that, that helped us to win that game. Um, but in... But one thing I've got to say about Kevin coming back, <laughs> which I know we're going to get on the subject of, we are a completely different team when that guy is on the pitch. Very true. Now, we've got Pitt Simons with us, who is um, not only an ex-player, but also a coach, uh, has coached at different levels internationally and, and of course, in the Premier League. Um, Pitt. This is the impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You know, what, what is it about Pep that makes him be able to interchange players, bring youth players in, and nothing seems to change in terms of the structure, the, the way his team plays, or the ease with which they play? Well, the big thing, I, th I think, for me, is they always... It must be down to, like, the training, because they all they play a certain way. And even the young players coming in, they know what's expected of them and they sign new players and very quickly they learn the the city way the guardiola way and it's um it's obviously ingrained on a daily basis and like i say any it's it's not it's not one dimensional by any stretch either because it it's quite fluid this this way of playing clearly um but i think a lot of it comes down to the environment that's created at the at the training ground and the work that's done consistently throughout the season like I say because you know for, for these the young players to step in like they do and not look out of place it's it's, it's down to that for me and uh, so it's not it's not luck or fluke and they, they are very good players but it's, it's they're used to that first team environment training with the likes of De Bruyne and the you know world-class players and they fit in then seamlessly and it's uh it's a lot of it is also down to the recruitment uh, of the players they bring in you know City don't seem to get too many wrong. Now, the last window, maybe they've, they've signed different types of players, Nunes and Doku, different to what we'd had previously, but it's for a reason, for a purpose. They're like brilliant running with the ball, breaking at pace with the ball and another way to hurt opposition teams. So Pep keeps changing that up all the time as well. The actual, um, the, the the weaponry that, that City have at their disposal and, and, as Louisa said, teams will come like like they did today, Huddersfield, and defend with a you know a five four one and very compact, very narrow, make it difficult. Now, City, City are incredible that some of the, the talent on show, but if teams defend like that on the edge of their box with with not many gaps, it can be difficult, really, really difficult to break down. Uh, so you need different ways, and and that's what City have got now. You know, even it's nil nil. I don't know what twenty five thirty minutes into the game or something. You're not particularly worried because you know it's coming. You know, now there can be the odd occasion where maybe it doesn't quite go to plan. And, and we've seen before, because of the way City push up the pitch as well, you are always then vulnerable to a counter-attack. You leave yourself open. We've seen a couple of European games. Teams can catch us on the counter, you know, and um, if they've got quick players. And that's what they tried to do today with Sorba Thomas as a lone striker. But... But City are just so good. And, you know, when once once that first goal went in today, you knew it was coming. And Pep talks about this control of the game all the time as well. And 
And because sometimes I'm on, I'm like, just put the cross in, put the cross in, but they won't come out and work at the other side and the other side and keep going till, till they can really find that weakness rather than maybe you've got the chance to cross, put in maybe a bit of a hopeful cross, if you like. They won't. They'll recycle the ball and come out the other way and always, always control the game. Is there a risk then from what Louisa was saying about the first half was a little bit boring? And I was watching um, a game the other night between Aston, well, on Saturday night between Aston Villa and Middlesbrough. And I'm thinking this is very similar what Villa were doing to City, recycling, passing around. And I'll be honest, I nodded off. So I'm not I'm not having a go at Pep. I mean, I, I think Pep is God, right? So I love what he's doing. But football has become, has changed from when you were playing, when there were more percentage balls, which... I like, I, I, I'm a purist. I want to see perfect football as well. And I love to see football played on the deck. And obviously you as a centre-half were, you know, nodding it away and all the rest of it. But football's become now this keep possession at all costs, 10-yard pass, 10-yard pass, 10-yard pass. Is there a danger, not just of City, but football generally becoming a little bit more boring and less, less exciting as a result? I think it's... Um... Certainly the top teams, it's, it's a lot more, well, it's a lot more technical. But also, let's say, if a top team plays a, a much lesser team, the lesser team is just going to drop off so and, and defend their goal. So, I mean, what we want, you, you know, you want to see ideally real open games of football, but not too many the, when they play against the top three or four clubs. They'll have a real go at each other and it'll be a brilliant open game of football. Not always the case, but that's what you you certainly hope for. I mean, also saying that with City as well, like the softball and, and uh, the controlling the game that Pat likes to, City are not afraid at times to go back to front. I remember the Arsenal game towards the end of last season, they sort of beat Arsenal up really, just played long balls forward, Haaland backed into Rob Holding. Like, so they, they, he's not afraid, I think, sometimes of going. And with, with Edison's distribution, he can, he can pass a ball long distances, you know, and pick people out. So it's not just a hoof upfield, it's a long pass. And if you can do it in one quality long pass, why not at times? And so, like I say, City now, I think, you know, Harlem was a was obviously a huge signing for the football club and the dynamic of how they're able to play with him in the team. Uh, but then there's also, like I say, different signings now, like Koku, Nunes and players like that that can do other things as well. And uh, so, I, so no, I think, I think Pep's aware that you know, teams could just drop off and defend in a, a, a most of the time City will, will break them down because they're good enough. But then also, we, they've got different types of players now who will just take someone on 1v1. Or if you've got a Harlem player and you can put a cross into the big man at the back post, why not? You know, and he'll, he'll, he'll score from there. So, they're, they're certainly, I think Pep's always thinking ahead, always thinking ahead of the, the next way, you know, the fullbacks coming inside. He, everyone's doing it now. He was doing it years ago. It's just, I think he's constantly he's such a football nut. He's constantly thinking about the game and different ways of playing. And it's clear to see, you know, they'll try different different tweaks of things in, in games. And it's fascinating for me to watch, I've got to say. Adam, I know you wanted to come in and make a point then. Yeah, I think that's key what Kit just said. I think Pep is always looking to change. And I think even going back to when he first came into to City... We'd always heard about how he was, you know, a percentage player and, and, and he was beaten with the tiki-taka stick and all the rest of it. And it was always said that he would play this game, he would have a team that, he, you know, it would win the percentage of games that it might come unstuck sometimes, but over the course of the season, that would win you the league. 
and he was seen very much as this is his pep. He can win you the league, but he's not really the master of the chaos. And then Klopp came in, and it was he was the opposite. And it was Klopp was creating chaos at Liverpool, and that was you know seen as good enough that Klopp can win some cups, but Pep will win the leagues. And I think Pep's proved that by winning the league every year for God knows how many years. And I start and I think it was starting to get on his back that we hadn't won the Champions League. And he became more and more obsessed with control and control and control. And he, you know, it was all it was always about the the Gundogan and the Rodri controlling the middle. And you know, he was keeping the likes of Foden and Grealish shackled a bit. And now he's won that Champions League. I think he's he's feeling the release a little bit. And he's brought in like Kit says, he's brought in the likes of Doku, and he's letting Doku just play his game. Um, and we're we're in this sweet spot now. Where I think we can go out, and if we need, you know, if we decide we want to to take a draw against Liverpool or whatever in a league match, he's got the tools that he can do that. But if he finds himself one down with half an hour to go, he's got options there that you know he can embrace the chaos a little bit. And it, and I think he's in that perfect sweet spot now where he's won everything. He's not feeling the pressure. He's not being judged on his style, and it, uh, you know, and he, and he has like Kit says, he has every tool in his armory now. I, I kind of think that I've noticed the difference with Pep is to, to other managers and other teams. I'm not saying others don't do it, but it's what I've noticed about Pep and our team is that, you know, his, his coaches alongside him, I think they're really, really pivotal and really instrumental to the decisions that Pep makes himself. And sometimes you can see him almost sort of lone wolf in it. And then other times they're constantly chit, 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 chit. There's people there making notes on the bench. There's people they're, they're 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 talking to each other. They're communicating. They're you know they're trying to either make things better or change things. And I I can't see that at other clubs. And I think that's what's also different about Pep is that he's not got this massive huge ego or this this self-involved feeling about himself that he thinks oh I'm just going to do all this by myself. He doesn't do it by himself. It's very clear to see that his success comes with his ability to communicate with other people that are that are just as qualified as he is. I, I was gutted when we lost Arteta because I felt that he was absolutely amazing and really instrumental in in some of the some of the cups and some of the games that we've won. It's true that I mean he's very humble in the way that in press conferences he talks about well, he never talks about it being about him. And when he's asked about what influence he thinks he's had on English football, he veers away from that. He just won't talk about it, which I think is a credit to him. Um, I mean, there's two questions here. Kit. First of all, I guess as a, as a coach and as a manager yourself, um, you can answer whether or not that is typical, the way Pep operates with his his coaches around him and the way he relates to them. And then there's a secondary question. You can take these whichever way you want, but you've coached at different levels as well. And I'm curious because I go watching the under-18s at City, I go watching the EDS, which are the under-21s, but are often down 18-year-olds as well. And, and I look at the players that are coming through and I'll admit that I didn't look at, uh, Rico, um, Rico Lewis necessarily and think he's the next one. I did look at Cole Palmer and think, yes, he'll make it. And yet Cole Palmer hasn't hung around, he's gone to Chelsea. And I think, what is it that Pep identifies? What what do you look for in, a, in one of those young kids that's different than us as fans look at? Well, I think going back to the first question, so I think it's not, it's not typical um, to work that way, that closely 
with all with all the staff. But it's clearly the best way to work. And if you want to be ultra successful, I mean, some um, you know, I played for managers and worked at football clubs where the, the manager sort of wants to do everything and a bit of a, a bit of a control freak almost, and they'll tell the physio how to do his job type thing. And it's you know, that's that's never never good. You know, a, a little bit of knowledge on several things is 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 not a good thing. And then uh, so so certainly uh, yeah, it's clear to see it's it's um it's it's a group of people, you know, Pep, and Pep's the leader of that group. There's no no doubt about it. I don't think in anyone's mind the attention. They're in to do their jobs and they do them brilliantly well. Um I know one of the sports scientists, um Donnock, I used to work with at Colchester years ago. Who's a top top uh, professional in his field, and he's you know you and he's he's also a, a real lively character, uh, great lad. But you never you, you know I, I see him sitting on the bench, but you, you never see anyone else trying to steal the show or get the limelight or anything. Everyone it's ultra professional the uh, the setup, and they've got you know real quality people doing their jobs. But for it to work properly, they've got to feel valued and and uh, everything by especially their manager and Pep clearly does that with his staff he looks after them and uh, gives them opportunities and, and treats them well uh, we'll come back to the under 16 question in a second then or the the youth question because I know Adam's uh, jumping in here go on Adam well I was just going to say that that seems to filter down to the players too and I think partly it's because when you're winning the big prizes you you maybe you can it's easier to lose your ego and just enjoy the team's success but you looked at Grealish getting subbed off today and there was no you know, he was grinning from ear to ear as he was coming off. And I think that filters down through the whole squad. Yeah, maybe. Um, well, on the on the identifying youth then, Kit, what is it that Pep and his team, let's say his team and not just him, what are they identifying in a player? And why, what, is it something you can see as well? And it's just me that's a useless fan who'd never played the game, who can't <laughs> see that. Why is Cole Palmer not the one who's come through rather than Rico Lewis, for example, or Micah Hamilton or whatever? What 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 do they see? Well, I think I mean I think the Cole Palmer situation is is a bit different. I think he wanted to go as well at this stage to to go and get more football. Um, so I mean, if you look at the the City team now, the squad, had he has stayed, would he play every game? Probably not. You know, he'd be in and out, I would imagine. Um, whereby Chelsea, he's gone in and he's he's every game and probably the star player there and done really well. Fair play to him. But I think Pep's very much of you know be it. If you're a younger player or a more senior player, if you want to go, go. You know, he's not going to keep people there who aren't chomping at the bit to be there and desperate to play for that blue shirt. Um, he's very much, he seems to, to me to be very much like that and and rightly so because there's, there's certainly enough players there and, and um, like Adam said there, you know, even players going off, they're not, no one wants to go off but you, they do it in the right way because they know they're part of a brilliant squad. Now, also, being subbed off and it's someone like Doku coming on, you know, hold your hands up, fair dudes. It's not like, you know, so, and even like some of these young players then coming on today as well, they're, they're, they're quality players. They are, and the boys will all know them from the training because they, they'll train with them regularly. Um, but I think that, that football intelligence, just being a good footballer is not enough. You need to take on the instruction and the direction and and be, be able to play on the same wavelength as the other players. You can't, you know, I don't think he would suffer individuals. And um, I think, you know, I think he's fine with people who've got a strong opinion and, and 
a strong personality, but that that if they overstep the mark with that, I don't think they'll be around too much longer. Well, you and I, uh, Louise, are on various podcasts have talked about the mental health of players and the fact that footballers at the end of the day are just like me and you, the the people, even though we as fans tend to talk to them almost in the third person, like like the some sort of FIFA video game or something like that. And one of the tricks I think that Pep has, which is all credit to him, which I cannot tell you how much I admire, from a distance, albeit, you know, I mean, I'm not in the inside, but you look at Rodri, for example, um, I think it was his grandmother passed away and he's gone back to the funeral. Um, and, and no hesitation from Pep, you know, um, Rodri can go spend as long as he needs. Jack Grealish, his house was burgled. Take whatever time you need to get ready um, and to get your mind back David again. Silver. You know, uh, sorry, Adam, go on. David Silva. David Silva, yeah, that was another good, good example when uh, obviously his son was, wasn't was well. But there have been loads of things like that that Pep, to me, has handled perfectly, including, and I'll throw this into the mix as well, um, when Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Sinchenko wanted to move on, Pep could have said, the club could have said, Pep could have said, you're not going to Arsenal, you know, you're not going to one of our rivals. Um, but no, in, instead, he lets them go when they want, where they want, and with his blessing. And when somebody handles you like that, as a manager, as a colleague, as a friend, your respect for them goes through the roof. And no wonder the players come off with a smile on the face when they're substituted or want to run through brick walls for him when the manager treats you like that. And I know that's a bit of a hobby horse of yours, Louisa. Yeah, I, I feel that he recognises that he's going to get the best out of those players, the happier they are. So even Jesus, when he really went off the boil uh, maybe about three seasons ago, I can't quite remember which season it was, and it turns out that he was really homesick and missing his family. So he brought the family over, the entire family over to Manchester. We'll bring them over then, you know. And and suddenly he's, he was absolutely on fire for the next, you know, probably the rest of the season. I can't even quite remember the, the timings of it. But I remember noticing that straight away, thinking, wow, you know, he's obviously, they've obviously done something to put something in place. So Gabriel Jesus can be a happier man within himself, within his mind. Now he's coming on the pitch and now he's doing his job. We don't we don't value that enough, do we, Kit? I mean, you, you as I say, you've been a manager and you know that you are dealing with people, real people. Forget the millionaires, forget the fact that they're famous. They are real people, aren't they? Well, they are, and that's that's the, the most important thing. You know, everyone talks about Pep as this football genius, which he clearly is. But he's also a very good manager of people. Um, and it's, it's like what he's saying about the play, the way he treats his players, um, you, you know, and and sort of understands their needs. And, and, and he's got, you know, high levels of empathy, clearly. He's the same with his staff, I'm sure. Now, we don't hear the stories about the staff whose grandmother's died. And he's gone off to a funeral. But I'm sure he does the same thing for these people as well. You know, because he, he's just seems to be like a good human being. And as much as I said, these football clubs now are huge money-making organisations and, you know, massive, but it's still people. It's still all about the people that are there. And um, and that sometimes people do tend to forget that. But the, the, good, the good ones, the good clubs, the good managers, they still realise this and they, 
they look after their people and uh, that's why they're good managers they're good leaders and um, yeah and Pep's certainly up there if not the, the very best at doing it Adam what did you make of Kevin De Bruyne's return then let's uh, let's not avoid that issue anymore now I mean for me it was just exhilarating to see him back on the yeah. pitch yeah well I mean it's no secret the people who know me that I think he's the greatest player we've ever had he's the greatest player I've ever seen and there's, and there's some stiff competition in, in a city shirt for that title but he is the best. Um, and I have been a bit concerned a couple of times in the past when he's been injured and he's come back and he's been a bit slow to get back. And I've started to think, oh, no, one day he's going to, you know, age is going to catch up with him or, or an injury is going to catch up with him. And one day, only when it's too late, we'll realise we've, we've already seen the best of Kevin De Bruyne. So whenever he's out, I'm always a bit nervous before he comes back because I just, every game that you can see of him at his best is a, is a great day. Um and I really was expecting him to just come along and string a few passes together and not, not use up too much energy today. I was surprised he came on as early as he did because I thought it was nailed on for 65 minutes from Pep. And he brought him on, I think, on about 58 or something like that. Um, and I just thought he instantly he instantly looked like his old self. He looks happy to be back. Um, and he was showing good energy. He whipped that shot over the bar. He was he was busy in the box. Um, he probably hasn't played a lot with that with that team that about that personnel that was on there today because there was a lot of non-first team regulars there um but he fitted straight in and it's totally exciting we we've got fresh kevin back in january and it's big boy time and he's the biggest boy of all so roll on <laughs> i know adam we're used to seeing uh great players at city doing great things but that assist for doku you know i did look at it and think could anybody else have actually done quite that assist maybe i'm being unfair though but that was typical kevin de bruyne wasn't it yeah, he's quicker feet and he's quicker brain, isn't he? And um, I couldn't believe he didn't take that free kick. I can't remember who he let. It was Sergio Gomez who who, uh, who took that free kick off him because I just I thought he was nailed on to get to do something special today because he just hit the ground running. How high on your list, Kevin? Is Kevin De Bruyne, Louisa? Uh, well, if you look back at my Facebook from the first season, he started playing. He was already my favourite player, and um, I remember the citizens sending out when I was you know you get the emails off them and everything when you remember and they said who's your favorite player and it's like Kevin De Bruyne straight away first season and you know obviously we bought him because he had something very special and very magical and he hit the ground running as soon as he joined the team but I just I knew from what Pep can do that he's already this excellent player oh my god how amazing is he going to be in the next few years and he isn't letting us down at all you know he is one of those players that does get a free pass because he's just so amazing the rest of the time that if he does a bit of a dud you know pass or or messes up which is very rare but when he does it he does get that free pass but he has to get the free pass because of what he does the rest of the time and today he didn't put a foot wrong he placed every single ball exactly where it should have gone with exactly the right pace Scientific wise, if I had a scientist telling me all of the trajectories today and seeing lines and things on the screen, I'd have been mesmerized by it all because you could just see it happening in front of you. And you used to, we used to call the wonderful magician David Silver, but my God, we've got a new magician in the ranks, definitely. I bet Erling Haaland's, um, when he comes back anyway, will be glad that uh, that um, Kevin De Bruyne is back in the side because he, uh, even in the adverts that she saw on the TV for Sky, I think it was, you know, he called him the assist king, didn't he? Uh, I mean, you're obviously in touch with the media down south a lot more than I am, Kip. 
bet I bet Chelsea are still regretting letting Kevin De Bruyne go, eh? <laughs> well, they try and justify it, but and, and Mourinho will try and justify why why he did it, but I just I mean, well, listen, it's, it's City's game certainly, wasn't it? So they're they're very happy now. And it, it looked for all like he was gonna score with his very first touch as well, didn't it, coming on today, but for the deflection from uh, from Oscar Bob, I think he would have uh, he would have scored because he timed his run brilliantly getting in there. But Pep's all about the control. Just all due respect to Huddersfield, they were they were pretty tired by the time he came on and, and they they had a bit of a run around. But you just again sense the control was there anyway, but you sense he just went up another notch when De Bruyne comes on the pitch. He just oozes class and makes the game look look so simple. I mean, even for the the second Foden goal with a short with a short corner, you know, he, he plays it brilliantly um, through two players, and he's just such, yeah, he's such a clever player. Uh, one or two City fans have said to me on social media. In fact, somebody said it in the match day vlog that I did today. Uh, you know what happens when Kevin De Bruyne is back to full fitness? Uh, where does Phil Foden go? Because a lot of people have enjoyed watching Phil Foden playing in a more central position. Does that can it accommodate the two of them in the in the middle, or will one of them have to drift wider? And I, I understand that Pep's tactics are not as rigid as perhaps football tactics generally were 30 years ago when it was a bit more you play in that position, you play in that. It is a lot more fluid. But is there room for the two of them to play together? I mean, potentially in certain games there could be. I mean, also don't forget Rodri wasn't there today. Now you get you suddenly get Rodri as that holding midfield player. You can almost do whatever you want in front of him because he's he's that good at playing that role, uh, as we've seen, you know, how much he's missed when he's, when he's not there. Um, so I, th I think, so, I mean, Foden's made no, no um, secret that he loves playing that more central role. Um, but again, because Pep is all about this control of games now, again, like I say, it might be certain opposition that they can play them both more centrally. Uh, I, I, I certainly think there'd be scope for it. I can't see why not, um, but maybe for the balance in in some of the maybe the the, the bigger games against the the top clubs in the Premier League, or maybe some big European games that he might not want that for the again for the balance and the control of the game, which I understand. Um, but I mean, it would be such a shame, wouldn't it, if one of them's ever also if one of them's sitting on the bench. I mean, what a player to come on, you know. So it's it just shows the the, the quality and the strength of the squad. And also, you know, he's he's been out De Bruyne since the first game of the season. So, and not doing bad. Let's get it right. So suddenly now he's back at full fitness. What a what a massive boost and a huge plus that will be. Well, following on from what you're saying there, at the end of today's match day vlogger spot to Sam Matterface, who is the very well-travelled commentator for Talk Sport, uh, does a lot for TV as well these days. And I and I said to him what do you think 2024 is going to bring for City, given that 2023 was effectively the perfect year? Can it be equaled? And he answered by saying that with Kevin De Bruyne back in the team, anything's possible. How do you feel about that, Kit? Yeah, well, it is. I mean, you like I say, they've done, you know, City a, a little minor wobble, if you like, um, but Far from a disaster. I mean, I know people love to blow things up and, and say, you know, this, that and the other. But, yeah, OK, dropped a few points, but you will do that over the course of a season. 
traditionally anyway. City always come strong in the second half of the season. But now you've got De Bruyne to come back in now, Rodri from today, Haaland. You're like, wow. You know, and it's looking brilliant today, really. If you think about it, I know it was, you know, all, all due respect. And it, it, to, to Huddersfield, it was um, obviously slightly easier opposition, but it was incredible performance. And it's only going to get better, I feel, and just at the right time. So, I mean, even, the you know, the Liverpool managers said what, the rest of the Premier League's like shaking now with De Bruyne coming back. I think he said it maybe a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but also he'd be worried because he knows um, just how good he is and, and what a huge boost it will give to everyone at the club. And of course, the Premier League's top scorer last season and this uh, Erling Haaland is still to come back. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling, really. Um I don't know if I've, I've asked you, Louisa and Adam, the, the, the question about 2023 versus 2024. We did a bit of a celebratory podcast last week about how great 2023 is, uh, was. So how did you view it, Louise? I mean, was that the perfect year? Can that be equal? Can that be bettered? What do you expect in 2024? Uh, no, I don't think it was the perfect year at all. You know, It wasn't? What, what more could you possibly have wanted? <laughs> It took us a while, you know, to get the top back. Um, so yeah, it could have been top by Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what perfect year. I suppose that is the most perfect year we'll get with all the trophies that we got. But yeah, you know, get let's get them all. We can't get them all, can we? We're out of the Carabao now, aren't we? So yeah, more trophies. I don't know what it looks like. I the treble beating United in the final and then winning the. Super Cup and the Club World Cup. I mean, come on, it don't get any better than that, does it? <laughs> that World Cup. That, that we're now, we are now, we can now sing the song properly now, can't we? Best team in the land and all the world, because now we are. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I just, I, I just sort of kind of thought you meant like last season, like 22, 23, and then this is like 23, 24. No, I was thinking of the calendar year 2023, if I'm being honest. Right, sorry, apologies. Right, I was thinking seasonal-wise because I was thinking we just got the World Cup now. So it's like, okay, all right then. Yeah, okay then. We won the treble and we've beaten United and we've stuffed everybody for years and we've shown that we're around to stay, you know, and that we're not going anywhere at all. And there are teams that have come along with money and that have won the championship, uh, oh, sorry, championship, the premiership, and um, disappeared again. And, and not done as well for, for a number of years. If they've ever come back again, look at poor Blackburn. Um, but it's like, well, we're not going anywhere. So, but yeah, all right then. All right, I'll surrender. I was I was surprised by your question because I didn't expect it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think we can. I think we can. We've got, I consider that seasonal wise, we can do better this time. We've got the World Cup now. So Fair enough. Um... Adam's had a chance to digest that question, so I'm not catching him out by surprise to quite the same degree. But what do you reckon, Adam? We will win the league again, I think, this year. Um, I think we, in a lot of the games where we've dropped points in the league so far, things have gone against us, whether that's just, you know, um, bad luck or missed chances or bad decisions or whatever. I feel like our our points tally so far doesn't reflect how good a team we are I look at our supposed challenges in Arsenal and Liverpool and they are I think they are riding their luck and massively overperforming. I watched them today 
and I think City is streets ahead of both of them. And I, for the first time, I'm, I'm convinced we're going to win this league and I think we'll win it comfortably. With the Champions League, we will get to the later stages. And I think once you get, if you can get to the last four, you've got a 25% chance of winning it. You're always going to get good teams in that competition. And if we could win either the league or the Champions League this year, that really writes us even more into history books. To win four titles in a row, never been done before. To win back-to-back Champions Leagues puts you in a in a club of maybe half a dozen that I can think of, half a dozen teams who won, who won back-to-back Champions Leagues. If we can win both of those, it just cements us as the, as the greatest team if we can do it. And if we do do that, it then sets up the following season to just, just keep etching our names into history deeper and deeper. And with this man at the helm, why, you know, why would, why are we not, why do we not think we're going to win the league and win the Champions League? We're the best team. We've got the best manager. But there's every reason to think we'll do it all. Absolutely. Now, I mean, I should reveal that before we started recording this podcast, I had a bit of a chat to uh, Kit about his time at City and his career, which you'll be able to watch on the YouTube channel um, after actually the podcast is is put up. Be might be the following week or something like that. But I'm going to give you and uh, you and Louisa Adam a chance to ask a question if you would like to to Kit while he's here with us now. So, uh, and it can be about his playing career. It can be about something that's happening right at the moment. But, but you know, why not? You've got the floor, guys. Would anybody like to ask a question to Kit? I want to ask two. So I'll ask my first one. Um, and, and it's probably just a standard one that you get asked a lot, but I've never heard your answer. So do you have a, a favourite moment when you were playing for City? And if it was, what was it? Um, I think uh, probably probably my debut. I think was uh, always sort of pretty special. It was my first first game in the Premier League. Uh, obviously, first game for City at Main Road. Uh, we played Tottenham uh, and and drew one one. Uh, beautiful sunny day, opening day of the season. So yeah, that was probably the the one that sticks in my mind the most. Um, yeah, I'd say that one. Yeah. You got a second one. Just to say, is that it about Wales? Because when I came into the podcast, you were just talking about your departure from Wales, and it was a kind of sort of pretty bad timing, really, wasn't it? Because you know they went on to the semis in the Euros in in twenty sixteen, and just from kind of your experience with them, and also what you've seen since, what exactly do you think that they need to be a little bit more consistently more competitive? Um, well, I mean, hard international football is obviously different to club football. You can't bring players in. You know, you've only got the players that you've got. So with Wales, certainly it was, I mean, we've gone through a really, really fantastic group of players 2016 with the likes of your Ashley Williams and obviously Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, Joe Allen, players like that. Now is a very different time. Those players have, have, have gone apart from Aaron, Aaron still playing. Um, so it's a very different group of players now. So um, different times, but um, I still think we've got some good. There's some good young players coming through from for Wales. Again, I have to find a different way of playing and and, and maximising the, uh, the the strong points from our best players. But um, no, I think I think the future for Welsh football overall is is quite strong still. Adam, you got a question? Yeah. So when you were playing for us, Kit, I was there. Uh... I was a younger man and the first time I had a bit of disposable income and I used to spend a lot of time and money following you boys all around the country. And that was my big away day, heyday, really. 
And I felt at that time there was just a fantastic bond between the players and the fans. Uh, these days, I just don't feel that that bond is quite the same. And I wonder, is that just me because I've got older? Or do you think that there's, there was a closer bond between the players and the fans in those days? Yeah, 100%. It's, um, it's, it's completely changed now. And, you know, Ian was saying earlier that footballers are almost, you, you, they're put up on a pedestal like they're, you know, like people on, on FIFA, they're not, not even real, you know. They are, <laughs> but you don't, you don't yeah. get the feel and you can't get the contact. I mean, back, you know, back then, I had sort of like loads of contact with, with the fans. You know, you'd see them regularly at the training. We were, we were Platte Lane then training. I'd always be supporters down there, just just waiting as you were coming out after training, you'd stop and talk to them. You know, it wasn't like gated security or anything. Um so it's very, very different times, yeah. And, and you could, you, you could get to know players, and and then you could, you could get certainly. And then between players and the whole group of fans, there was a different bond. You know, it's just the way the game's gone. So it's not just just City by any stretch. Certainly, it's it's football in general, and it's hard mm-hmm. for players to get that bond now, and and for the fans to to feel quite that connection. And that's where I think the clubs um, have got quite a big responsibility to. To understand what the fans still want and need, and to make sure they deliver that, and, and they, they don't they don't sort of lose sight of. Again, we're talking earlier about Pep being so good with people. Football clubs need to be good with their people, the, the fans, the supporters, and and to to keep that understanding. Now, I know City do brilliant stuff in the community, and uh, Big Alex just uh, got an award and everything, didn't he? Um, Fantastic, you know, they do do some brilliant stuff, uh, but they need to keep that going as well. And I think, like I say, City are aware of that and are in, are in touch with it. But yeah, just in general, the the link between players and fans is it's impossible to have like it used to. And uh, yeah, some 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 good old days, that's for sure. That's, that's for sure. Um, well, we'll we'll conclude the podcast um, by let me ask you about the next game, which is Newcastle, and also your thoughts on the fact that there is this mini winter break. I mean, City are not going to be involved in a replay, etc. So by all accounts, from what Pep said at the press conference on Friday, it sounds like they're going to go off to Abu Dhabi for some warm weather training. I was lucky to go out there once and see the sort of area where they go and, and having been in Jeddah for the Club World Cup, I know what the weather will be like. So in, I, I just wonder whether... I'll leave Kit to the end on this one, but I just wonder whether, you know, that that is of benefit, um, whether that's a, a concern to the rhythm of the way that City are playing. Um, and obviously they're taking them away from the way that we are here. So when they come back, they'll be thinking, it's cold here. It's a lot colder than where I was. So there's all sorts of pros and cons to it. As a fan, um, Louise, I mean, you look ahead to the Newcastle game and then that, first of all, let me ask you about Newcastle and then tell me what you think about having two weeks off. Uh, well, I'm not really worried about Newcastle at the moment. They did start off quite well, but um, they're down in nice and they've only won one game out of the last five. Uh, so hopefully they won't win the next one against us, even though it's at their home, you know. So I'm not 
particularly worried, especially um, if we play the way we played today in our second half and with Kevin back, you know, and, and like we say, I mean, I'm kind of hoping that it will keep him and Phil on and find a place for both because I really love Phil it right at the front in that number 10. I think he's absolutely amazing and I think he could turn into a little Aguero part two if we keep him that far forward, uh, you know, and then we can have like, Kevin sitting behind him a little bit, but Kevin also did okay right up the front today as well because he played in a slightly different position today. So I'm not worried about Newcastle. I think it's going to be brilliant. Uh, we're just talking about bonding and, and bonding between the team and the boys and the lads. Um, and I do feel that that would be incredible bonding for them to go out to, to Abu Dhabi to do the training. You know, they've been there frequently. They've been there before. They go there every year anyway. Some of them go there on holiday. So it's a familiar place and it's absolutely a wonderful place. I love Abu Dhabi myself. I've been three years on the on the run now for the Formula One and Formula Two. So it's, it's a great place to go to. It's very, it sort of feels like a very westernized uh, Middle Eastern city. Hopefully that's, that's not an offensive thing for me to say. It's, it's very very modern and very lovely place to visit so yeah I'm really looking looking forward to it all but then just just before I kind of say my last thing I was losing the magic of the FA Cup just a little bit um you know over the last few years and today I actually got it back and not necessarily just through watching Manchester City today but it was watching the highlights of the other matches and if you feel like you're losing the magic a little bit then just go and watch some of those other matches and go and watch how hard Cardiff fought and just could not get that ball in that net, no matter what they did. So please go and watch that. It's very sad for Cardiff. I'm very sorry for them. But to me, it brought that essence back of the FA Cup, and as did the Maidstone and Stevenage game. Absolutely watch that game. I hope Maidstone play one of the big teams. I really do. Because that match was phenomenal. And if any match represents an FA Cup match, it was that Maidstone and Stevenage match today. Wonderful. I'll, I'll make a point of doing that. Um, Adam, um, Newcastle and then the winter break. Yeah, it's a potential banana skin, I guess, Newcastle, just because it's vociferous and they have been, they have been uh, up and down this season. But I'm hoping we catch them on a down day. If we can go and get the points there, then we're still breathing down the neck of the leaders. A little bit of a warm winter break is fine. The only thing I'm concerned about is the same as last year, is what do we do if we lose Rodri? If we keep Rodri fit, I think we can go and do it all. If we if we, if we lose Rodri, it's a big fear. So what I want to see this month is Pep either decide how he's going to play in the absence of Rodri, if, if we should lose him. Because when he was out for three games a couple of months ago, whatever Pep tried, it didn't seem to be very successful. That was our worst part of the season. Phillips, as everyone knows, it must be on his way out the door now. So whether it involves getting Phillips out and somebody else in or coming up with whatever he's going to come up with, I want us to know that come the end of January, Pep feels that we can we can ride a, ride a little storm if, we, if we're missing Rodri. And that's the only fly in the ointment I can see between now and the end of the season. Nice and positive. Um, Kit, first up, Newcastle, who obviously not City out of the Carabao Cup. And that's up at St James's Park, and then a winter break. Um, as a coach, as a manager, as a, a a player, former player, and clearly still a fan, do you look at the Newcastle game first of all and think City are, are going to comfortably win that? And then, what do you think about the prospects of a winter break? Uh, very similar to Adam, it's, it's it is a, a potential banana skin, um, but I do think um, City. I mean, 
Newcastle have been looking really, really tired, picked up a little bit uh, just just lately, but they've been looking really tired. So they'll be looking forward to a winter break, that's for sure, if they get one. Um, but I, I think City will be okay. I think City will go and win up at Newcastle. And I think a break will be, be brilliant for them. You know, they've had a busy, busy schedule, uh, winning these cups and and stuff and, and going away. So I think uh, uh, a little bit of warm weather training for, for a few days, going away together will be, will be brilliant for them. I think it's uh, the ideal time of the season to get that. And I think we'll come back fitter and stronger for it. Well, it's been an absolute joy to have you on the uh, the podcast, Kit. Um, I know that uh, in years gone by, we spoke a lot more and I haven't spoke to you a lot recently, but I have followed your career from afar and at the sound of... Uh, the, the risk of sounding sycophantic, I've been very proud of what you've done because you are a blue and you're part of us. So I've really enjoyed watching what you've done and uh, I look forward to having you on the podcast and chatting to you again. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure to have Louisa and Adam and thanks very much to Counting King, R&D tax specialist, but of also all sorts of business advice when it comes to money and of course to uh, Amar Development UK who helped to get me out to that Club World Cup final in uh, Saudi Arabia for which I'm very grateful so thanks very much for listening uh, well, there will be a podcast next week hopefully uh, Richard Dunn will be our special guest on the podcast uh, next week and then maybe in that winter break we might talk about a few more off-field matters and I don't know whether Adam will want to join us on that one again but we might uh, talk to uh, Mark who I know is currently on City Matters and try and catch up with a few things of concern to players as well in the international break so thanks very much to the three of you um, have a great week and uh, if you only remember one thing from this podcast just remember this it's great to be a blue <laughs>